It's The Teacher's Corner with Matt Fisk and Brett Kreider. This is a show where we dive into some things on a deeper level with the Northern Virginia Church teacher, Brett Kreider. And Brett, thanks so much for for making the time. Today, um, we're going to be talking about a book that you have been digging into. And it's a great book. It's called Discipleship That Fits by Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom. And I'm really excited to dive in with you because it's been changing. It's given me a lot to think about the way that I look at uh, how, not just how we're organized as a church, but how we live our lives with as church, if that makes sense. So, so okay, Brett, let, let's dive into it. What are the the challenges or what is the challenge addressed by this book? I'm going to take that personally right away and say, okay. I think that the challenge for us is do we really understand discipleship and how to make disciples? Here's the example they use in the book. They say, do you remember the five sermons that changed your life? Or do you remember more the five people who changed your life? Now, how would you answer that? I, I mean, I, it's so funny because I mean, I've, I've listened to a lot of sermons. I've preached a bunch of sermons and I honestly struggled to come up with like maybe two sermons. But I, I mean, it's so easy to think about the people that have, have changed and altered and influenced my life. So, And that whole relationship of letting somebody in your life who you trust and who gets to know you in a, in a way that's unlike anybody else. Mm-hmm. I can remember as a young disciple staying up late, it was actually Russ Yule who would ask the most questions and we'd have these talks late into the night where I would share things that I thought were normal Mm -hmm. about my upbringing. And then all of a sudden he would say, you know, that's not normal. Oh wow! (laughs) This affects who you are. And once I had somebody who knew me at that level, it started to change my character in ways that had never happened before. This is really what helped me believe in discipleship. And I think the challenge that the book is getting to is that This happens, uh, here's the way they word it. God disciples us through relationships differently in different relational contexts. Okay, that's really deep. Can you say that again? (laughs) Slower and yeah. So God disciples us through relationships, but he does it differently in different relational contexts. So this is getting to the fact that there are Big context, like big church, you go to church and you're with hundreds of people, Mm -hmm. all the way down to a one-on-one time. And the fact that this was part of the way that Jesus made disciples, there were things they learned in the crowd, there were things they learned alone. And the, the fifth context turns out to be your own personal relationship with God, which, let's face it, is foundational to everything. Yeah. That's part of being a disciple too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Groundbreaking. But you know, if we look at Christianity, most people think of Sunday. Yeah. They think of some big worship service. I do think of that. And the bigger your church, the better. Sure. And so the pinnacle of Christianity is some awesome worship church, worships, worship service. You got there. <laughs> um, where you're emotionally moved, where you learn something, you come out of it and go, I really got something out of Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of our heart and work and expectation goes into a Sunday. Is that wrong? Well, is that what's going to change you? Hmm. Maybe. 
I don't know. I like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this with you. Yeah. And so, and, and the book argues that there's certain things that big church is good at. Okay. And there's certain things that you're only going to learn in a, in a context that's different than that. So necessary, but not sufficient. Like I yeah. get something, but maybe I, I'm, I can't get my full meal. It's, I, I need the other food groups almost like that. Or is it, you know? Yeah. And so let me give you an example of what these contexts are, because there's be only five of them. So okay. we can probably simple, get simple. them all down. And these five contexts of discipleship, they explain them based on the size of the group. So is it hundreds? Is it 70? Is it 50? Whatever. And also the distance that you feel from people. Like how far are we? We're, we're kind of three we? feet away. Yeah, about three feet. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're at church, big church, you, you know, a lot of times people go and you're, it's almost like a movie theater. They don't sit next to each other. I know yeah. in our church, we try to get everybody sitting next to each other. They don't always do it. Right. Yeah. Gonna All right. About that. Be honest. Um, <laughs> so the first one is that public context. Okay. Public. We would consider that like Sunday church and you know, what, what's great about these, these are inspirational events. Yeah. It really is an event. It's not, you can't just everybody show up on Sunday and it organically happens in some magical way. It takes a lot of prep. Sure. And you kind of expect what's going to be great about this is powerful worship. Hopefully some great preaching or teaching they're going to walk away with. And, and yet it's not necessarily this, it's not the same dynamic as having uh, a smaller group. Yeah. I can go to a church service and I can feel personally moved by the music. I can feel personally inspired to do something, but I don't necessarily feel connected to the people I'm with. It's a shared experience. And so as we bring it down to the second context, that's the social context. Okay. And for us, I think that's more like house churches. Okay. And we're talking about 20 to 70 people. If you're in the Ashburn house church, that's a, that's a spread 20 <laughs> to 70. <laughs> But picture it like having a backyard party, okay, where the community comes together and there's an opportunity to feel like you belong to something. Yeah. This is our home. And it's just a different, it's, you could eat a meal together. Mm. A little bit hard to eat a meal together with hundreds. That's true. But in your backyard, you could picture it. So that's the social context. Yeah. Like everybody could, like I, I might not be close to everybody, but I could know everybody's name. Maybe. Exactly. And, and the next context would be what they call the personal context, which I'm going to say is the size of a discipling group, which may be like four to 12 people. Okay. And there's an intentionality where you're trying to form relationships at a different level. Hmm. In your backyard, you know, maybe you're drinking a beer, maybe you're drinking a soda, depends <laughs> on what you like. It's or if okay. You're with teens or. <laughs> yeah, teens drinking beer, probably not so good. But I want to be clear on that. Yes, we got that straight. But in the personal context, you're going to feel something that's that's different. You're yeah. going to expect closeness. You're going to expect a commitment to one another. So, you know, yeah. can you really be there for me during the hard times? Hmm. That's not necessarily a backyard feeling. Yeah, no, I think it'd be a little weird if at a backyard party, I stood up on a table and said, hey, everybody, I'm going through some stuff. And, and you know, it's even a more natural um, context for challenging somebody. The backyard or the? Yeah. The smaller group. Oh, the smaller group. <laughs> if Got you it. call somebody out in a public context or a social context, it's just going to feel weird. Sure. Yeah. But in a smaller group, you're, you're actually 
inviting other people into your life. And so if somebody sees something, there should be this sense of, hey, you know, I'm trying to be like Jesus. It's okay to bring it up in this context. Now, of course, we're not talking about jumping on people or, you know, let's have put somebody in the middle and and they're in the hot seat. Um, But we are talking about a a level of trust that can't be built in a large group. Now, there is another level that they get down to, which they call the transparent context. So personal, then transparent? Yeah. Okay. And, and transparent, at this point, you're only like 18 inches away from each other. You're, this is one-on-one. Yeah. This is maybe two couples getting together, mm. or maybe uh, three brothers or yeah. three sisters getting small together. Table. yeah. Very small group, but the whole key to this is complete openness. It may be with a group of 12, it may be difficult to share super personal things and to bear your soul. But I like what you said earlier when you talk about the fact that not everybody needs to be vulnerable in front of 400 people. But if everybody can find a context where there's transparency in their life you're going to get to a different level of discipleship. Now he adds the fifth uh, context, which is the divine context. And that's where, that's your own personal time with God. And, and of course there, you're going to feel a sense of vulnerability. And hopefully, you know, this is something where you all the other contexts can help you, but it's you and God. So, you know, God knows everything, whether you like it or not. <laughs> You can try to fake your prayers. Faking your prayers publicly, great. You know, you can fool people. But when it's you and God, you, it just doesn't work that way. Okay, so just to recap. So you have the the public, which is the crowds, like over 100 people. You have the social context, which is about 20 to 70 backyard. The personal context, which is like a discipling group, 4 to 12. Then the transparent context, which is like 2 or 3. And then the divine, which is you and God. Yeah. Now, maybe if you were thinking of your Bible and we're trying to imitate Jesus, you could probably come up with an example of how Jesus did this. And do you, do you see yes. that Jesus followed this kind of? Okay. Pattern? Yeah. Uh, it's so Jesus did. Okay. The crowd. So public, public over a hundred, that would be like the sermon, sermon on the Mount, sermon on the plane, that kind of stuff. He's teaching the crowds. The social 20 to 70, he, oh, 72. So he's got the 72. He sends out them. And then the four to, tw- uh, I see what you did. The personal, the 12. So he's got his, the 12. The transparent context, the the three people, Peter, James, and John. And then divine would be him and God. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, you you know, you're seeing this. And now let's talk about how we can apply this. So, the truth is that discipling happens in every context. If you're like we talked, if you talk about a close relationship where you're trying to imitate somebody, when you're at big church, you may actually be watching how is this other person worshiping and maybe learning from them. And how much more so when you're in a smaller group. Now, here's the challenge. I look at most churches experience and big church is common and discipling is uncommon. Hmm. That sounds profound. (laughs) Well, 
we used to call ourselves the discipling movement and we built everything on what we call discipleship partners. We've gotten away from that for various reasons, but the, but the challenge then becomes what are we missing and how does that affect who we are? Like if, if everything's about big church, then we're coming in without having been transparent. What's that going to feel like? You're going to feel kind of fake. And I think that's actually quite real. Yeah. Like I personally have drifted away from some of these discipling relationships and I felt the lack of transparency. And honestly, that can lead to um, whether I'm idle or bored, I get into sin. And then because I'm not in a transparent relationship, who do I share it with? No one, maybe God. I think many members are feeling this right now. And so the challenge is how can we build the context and, and maybe instead of making Sunday the pinnacle, really build things on our own personal relationship with God that's reinforced by great transparency and discipling relationships at each of the levels. Okay. So uh, let's, let's take one and, and try to break it down. Okay. All right. So if we're talking about the public context, you think about Jesus and the crowds, but for our church, a church service should be an event. There should be an excitement around it. And, and sometimes if we just treat church as commonplace, we miss the power of many people coming together and the amazing opportunity to worship. I, I know for us, you know, we go in there and Andre is singing and, and some of those sisters who can sing, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I see people experiencing a level of worship that's not something that if you and I would just started to sing right now, we'd feel. No, not so much. <laughs> not as much. So these large gatherings have the opportunity to be inspirational, that it's not as easy to create that magic with two people, 12 people, or backyard. And um, there's also an incredible opportunity to give the, a sense of teaching to a large crowd at once. So I love what you guys are doing with the expository preaching because it gives the, the foundation where everybody gets the foundation. Now you go off and talk about it in the small groups, but your experience is going to be different. And, and you can probably imagine how that feels. Yeah. It's like you're building a platform that people can, you know, use to build on and discuss later, but it's not supposed to do it for you. It's supposed to launch you and it's supposed to push you, but you know, everybody at once gets all this so that you can, you know, bring it to each, each different level is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And so if we start to look at what are the weaknesses of the large church setting, um, we can make the mistake that once we've taught people, they've digested the material. Mm. Mm. So we think, oh, we told people to come to church. They should come to church. (laughs) We told people to read their Bible. Why aren't they reading their Bible? We told them to be disciples. Why aren't they being disciples? Good question. Okay. And I think we can be guilty of that. And then we miss the need for small groups because we think that Sunday services are so awesome. Mm -hmm. It's got to be enough. 
So what then ends up happening is that people miss out on the actual method that Jesus used, which was a combination of all of these. So now if we try to break it down to the social context, how about if you try to describe what are we trying to accomplish in a house church? What's good about a house church? All right. So let, let me back up because I'm, I'm thinking about scripture. Okay. If, if the, the social context is the 70, like Jesus is 70, right? He sends up Or eating 70. a meal in a house. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with the 70 because I like that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I, I, what I do know is that Jesus sent them out to preach. Like it, that was the mission. Like he doesn't, he uses the 70 to build the mission. So they're more missional. Exactly. And so I'm thinking, okay, the big church, he doesn't actually ask the crowds to go and do that. He sends the 70 out. So I, I I imagine that, 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 the, that level, the social context, that 20 to the 70 is probably much more around. Let's build a, in this context, we can be a group of people that we probably can't all know all of each other's business, but we can know each other's names and we can engage with our immediate like neighborhood, our immediate community. And, and so I, so I'm thinking like a house church and in true house church form, it's, it's a smaller group, but it's not necessarily a small group. It's a, I belong here and other people can belong here. And this is where most of our, the the mission comes from. We want people to, this is the most welcoming community of, of all the communities, but it doesn't need to be this big inspiring, you know, event that has, you know, Technicolor and, and slideshows and Andre doesn't need to sing at it. Although it probably be, everything is awesome when Andre is singing <laughs> at it, but it, 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 it's much more like, Hey, we can, we maybe relaxed, but I think, I feel like belong. Is, is belonging is a great word yeah, I think for that's what I'm that. what I'm getting most so of. what would you be missing then if you're in a, the house church is that going to meet all of your needs are you going to be transparent are you going to feel no, these th- other things I think I'd have fun and I think I'd build some friendships and I'd have a diversity of, of friendships that I wouldn't get almost any friendships maybe at at big church but I would develop more friendships I might be able to find people that I click with and have common interests and and then I you know I feel like I belong with them, but I wouldn't be able to deal with the, the deep things of my heart. I definitely probably wouldn't be able to get up on if You know, if it's in your backyard, again, the picnic table thing, I'm not going to get up and start confessing there because it would, you know, throw off the vibe. Well, and it would be really awkward if a visitor comes out because you've invited them now, you're missional in your house church, you bring out a visitor and all of a sudden people are bearing their souls in a group of 50 people. That's going to be a little bit weird. Yeah. And I don't think I, I'd be able to really, no, no one would know my business well enough in that context and no one would be able to really call me to change. And I wouldn't feel like that's the context in which I, w- I would be transformed into a disciple of Jesus to a follower like yeah. that. And so that brings it down to the, the personal context where maybe it's a, uh, a discipling group of all men. And they may be gathering together because they they have a common uh, thing they're working on. It could be uh, working on their professional lives and trying to uh, grow. How do you live as a disciple at work? It could be um, working on their marriages and they're talking about their relationship with their spouse and they can get at a level where we all relate to each other because we're we're getting our stuff out and we can help one another with our story. It could also be a very focused group like on purity, something like that, where, you know, you're able to talk and support one another and maybe even hold each other accountable 
in a way that you just can't do at a house church. Yeah. And I I guess it also could be like geography. We live, you know, close and, but, but it can't be, it's gotta be smaller than the, the 20. Yeah. I mean, Jesus had the 12, so maybe that's the upper limit for most of us. We're probably going to feel more comfortable with about six. Yeah. So how is that different? That personal? Because I think as I'm reading the book, the and thinking about it, how is, how is the personal different than the transparent? Well, I think unfortunately for us, we haven't totally figured that out for us okay. as a church. I think we have the house church and we have, we're working on discipling relationships and sometimes we have discipling groups. But one of the questions that we've probably got to wrestle with is what are we trying to accomplish in each that's different. And I I don't know. I was talking to Brian O'May about it last night. And I I said, you know, I don't think we have all the answers yet, but the questions are good because there are some things that you can do in a one-on-one situation that are very different than a group. And, you know, I I don't know what that feels like for you. Maybe you can share what's different. Like what is special about the one-on-one relationship? Yeah. I mean, I, I treasure those times, but they are, they are raw. Like I can be, I can say and need to say the things that I'm embarrassed to say anywhere else. I mean, I can talk about how angry I am at the, the Wells Fargo worker that I feel like is exploiting me and their evil fascist company or whatever it is. And I can talk about what's actually going on when I'm fighting with my wife. I can talk about how I am afraid that she is judging me, doesn't respect me and doesn't, um, you know, it's I, I can be real about the fact that I'm like, oh, I'm scared to death that she's going to get tired of me, stop loving me, leave me. And that would never happen. You know, you know I love my wife and all Amen. that stuff. But 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 these are things I can be honest about that I probably can't. And it's it, it's maybe even too much of, of what's going on in other contexts. But that's what mm-hmm. I can do in the in the transparent. It's total. I hold anything back and I'm not trying to impress anybody. Yeah, I think that's really why discipling in a very small group, whether it's one-on-one or a group of three or maybe four at the most, sometimes it could be two couples, but it provides that vulnerability where you're really going to make your closest friends. If somebody knows you that well, that's the person you're staying up late at night talking to and just bearing your soul. Yeah. It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells Peter, James, and John, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But it's also when you are, because when you're tempted, it's not easy to call somebody else up. And until you build that transparency into your relationship, it's just embarrassing to reach out at a weakness, a time of weakness. But if they already know you, then you have a foundation that's going to help you in your own transparency. That's great. So how do we, okay. So I guess the, the, the next question, the next step is, I mean, what do we do now? How do we, cause it doesn't sound like the, the big public context is a weakness. It sounds like lower down, like the personal transparent is where we, we have issues. What's, how do we do a better job at, at creating those things and those groups and those, I guess, opportunities. Yeah. And I think this is the start of a conversation. I do not expect this to be, you know, we don't have the answers. If you're listening to this podcast, go, I want the answer of how to get a great discipling relationship. That's something we're going to be exploring all year. 
But I know this. If our, I'm going to look at it like a pyramid. And if the bulk of our work, a bulk of our effort and um, expectation and joy is coming from Sunday mornings, our pyramid is upside down. Okay. That we have too much emphasis on Sunday morning. If, it, if we turn it upside down and yeah, okay, Sunday morning is sort of a peak experience because it's the, you know, the most emotionally free experience or whatever and inspiring and all that. However, my foundation's got to be my divine context, my relationship with God. And then as a disciple, if I feel like I have at least one close friend who knows everything, I'm going to be much more willing to be in a group where I invite people in because part of the, the challenge is to get to the level where you're inviting other people into your life and where everything's open and say, okay, I want to be like Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. If you see something in me, will you please tell me? So I'm not the person with the broccoli and the teeth in the public, you know, there. but uh, you know, this happens. I, I, I really, this is a great thing about marriage, you know, and my wife won't correct me publicly, but if I do something publicly where it's not like Jesus, my wife will definitely come back to me and say, Hey, you know, when you said this, it came across not like you intended, but not, but a yeah, different yeah. way. I know what you're saying. So just needing that kind of help. And, and I think our real goal this year is to figure out how to fix the discipling relationships. Sure. A lot, some of this stuff, I mean, it has to happen at like, okay, if I'm looking at a, as a leader, I'm thinking about how do I structure my ministry? We work with the singles and young professionals. So I'm thinking along those lines, but most people aren't, aren't thinking about how do I structure my ministry? So uh, it, it, again, if I'm driving in my car, what do I do with this? What are some of the things I can take from this? I mean, I think that if you look at your pyramid as I should be spending the most time with God. Like I'm getting time with him every day. I'm connected. I'm real. I'm praying as I go. Number two, I'm emphasizing a, a relationship that's close with another person. And I'm opening myself up to number three, that personal group where I'm part of a group of guys or a group of girls or to a couple couples that get together. And then by the time we get to church, the transparency is overflowing and the genuineness, the authenticity of who we are as Christians is so full in the room that it's not just a hyped up church service, but it's a time where we are before God and we feel like God is really amongst us. I think even as we were talking off air about it, like the thing that we um, that we, we discuss is that what's essential to this happening has to be vulnerability. You know, it's such a weakness of, of 21st century Americans, but definitely in this area in DC, we are, we do our best. We put our best foot forward. We are, you know, we, we, we're always proving ourselves. We're always rising up. And I don't 
most people, and I'm including me, I don't want to talk about the bad stuff. I don't want to talk about things that make me look selfish or bad or unspiritual. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing from all this is I have to, the whole thing here isn't, we need to structure church better, or we need to have more fun in the social context. It's that I need to fight for vulnerability with God and with a small group of people to, to allow this, whether it's one-on-one or slightly more, more people, but vulnerability this will never happen. None of it will happen. We can organize everything around this, but without vulnerability and a concerted effort towards vulnerability, everything's going to stay the same is what I'm getting. Yeah. And I think we see the symptoms when we feel lonely, when we don't feel like we have somebody to, to reach out to and, and ask for help. Um, when we go into church and we're feeling a little critical of, of how the church, you know, I didn't get enough out of this church. Right service, you know, and we're, we're evaluating it based on maybe the wrong, we're trying, we're going in with unrealistic expectations for a large group. Those needs cannot be met in a large group. And so if we can reset our expectations and know that if my needs are getting met with God, with a brother or sister or two, then it does actually change my experience of church itself. That's great. So expecting the right things from the right context and we would be able to experience each context for what it was meant for. Beautiful. Brett, thank you so much. This was awesome. I think that's enough for today. This has been Teacher's Corner with Brett Kreider. I'm Matt Fisk. Uh, tune in next time. A lot of other stuff. More Teacher's Corners coming at nvca.academy and we'll check you next time. Bye.